and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 401. That's right, 401. Um, we are talking about a couple of different things tonight, just random topics, but uh, we're going to kick things off with the Green Lantern Season 2, Issue Number 5, Hyperman Wants It Dead or Alive. Uh, take it away, man. Please take it away. Please take it away. Take it away, take it away. Um... Oh, all right. So let's just get into this. That reminds me of that. That reminds me. What was that? Uh, I can't remember. And if see shit, it would just went out of my head. It was one of the one of the skits from Whose Line It Is Is It Anyways uh, back in the day. Uh, <laughs> and I think it was the 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 um, the dating game essentially, where you're like you know bachelor number one, you, you know, <laughs> and they ask a question, and I think Colin was a. Uh, uh, I think his thing was utterly repulsed by, you know, whoever was, was playing the, the bachelorette. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, the, the, the question was, was something like, um, how would you woo me or something like that? Uh, or no, no, no. It was, they ask a question and then, you know, like a romantic date or something like that. What would you take me? Colin answered with something funny. And then, uh, uh, it was clear he was being disgusted. It's like the guy had already figured it out. And she goes, <laughs> he goes, woo me. And Colin goes, what ya? Woo me. <laughs> and Colin goes, okay, just once. Woo. Woo. <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking about when it comes to, not just this issue, but the series. <laughs> woo. Well, that, woo. That's, when you, that's when you needed Ric Flair. <laughs> woo. <laughs> And trust me, there'd be nothing to woo about regarding this issue. Uh, but I will say, as a quick, non-detailed summary, that this was better than last issue. So uh, I, I saw I uh, skimmed last saw, issue. Yeah, because if yo, you didn't. But didn't you listen to the episode? <laughs> yeah, I listen. I listened to the episode, but that's I skimmed good the for issue you because you wouldn't you wouldn't have to worry about your surgery if you if you had actually read that. It would have finished you off. Uh, so I apologize to Dan again for having for for risking his well being and his health for being in that being in that episode. Cause, uh, but this is at least Morrison dialed back down to four or five, which is I guess the best we can hope for these days. All right, so this issue begins with uh, in a couple places we really don't care about uh, for the most part. But we have what what the hell's what the hell's her name? True, is that her name? They mentioned her somewhere at this. Uh, Lantern True. Yeah, I'm that would make sure, sense yeah. because she's a Zudarian, so that probably goes along with the 
typical pattern of Zudarian names, that a couple of Green Lanterns they are, are going hop skipping through Sector Two Eight One Four, basically trying to uh, pick up the trail. As we will find out of Hyperman, they go to the headquarters of the United Planet Superwatch, which unfortunately we remember. <laughs> <laughs> which which we interacted with in season one of the, of the Green Lantern. We end up so basically we so we're on the planet Cranaltine. We start there. I'm sure some of this stuff means, and the world of Grant Morrison, a lot of the stuff probably means stuff to me. It doesn't. Nor what did I have any desire to go look into these things like asteroid Juno with Macandro and Power Lord, late of you know from Atlantis and all this crap. But basically they're trying. Everybody's trying to track down the location of, of, of where Hyperman is. Um, now we we cut back to Earth, and we see a Clark Kent-looking dude with this with Ms. Astra, and he's basically he's in his own weird-ass way. First, he's like trying to hit on her, but obviously he's a masochist because he likes causing pain. So he, as he promises, basically to what to turn the coal into diamond. He he pretty much he pretty much like places it inside her hand, so he's gonna crush the crush the coal and her hand at the same time, and he's kind of getting off on uh, on the on the pain. Uh, real real charming individual. Meanwhile, uh, we don't know this yet, but you know hy- this is Hyperwoman, but like Calypso is is the hyper dog. Uh, basically, she's kind of like uh, she's telling him to. Ixnay on the crush A because because Hal Jordan Green Lantern has walked by, and the other ones who've been killing Green Lanterns earlier on in the season, he basically uh, like this looks like a job for Superman except it looks this looks like a job for Hyperman, so he he pretty much gets ready to unveils in his uniform. Meanwhile, Hyperwoman puts Hal in a chokehold, which is where we left off last issue. Wanted Hyperman, Dead or Alive, Grant Morrison script, Liam Sharp art and cover, Steve Olaf with an assist from Liam Sharp did the colors, Steve Wan's letterer, Gary Frank, and Brad Anderson did the variant cover, Brian Cunningham is the editor. So, with this, we find, you know, we, 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 we kind of get it, we kind of get a, an inkling on, um, how they've been so efficient at killing Green Lanterns before because they basically damaged the Green Lantern ring using the heat vision to damage the Green Lantern ring so it doesn't work. So she tries that with Hal's ring, and she's somewhat effect, effective that it does, it's mal, malfunctioning, and it's on the, and it's probably on the short train to Deadville as far as its overall prognosis. But Hal's able, and his ring are able to still work efficiently short term. Hal's able to hit her with a, a locomotive construct. That's pretty cool. Hyperman, Hyperman comes in and starts wailing, you know, wailing on Hal. Uh, Hal fights back. Uses a big green hand construct to smash Hyperman with. What, what is that? Is that a train? Start to see what that. I don't know what the mm-hmm. hell it is. Because um, they're in the museum still, so it could. Pra- uh, it's. It looks like a an oil eighteen uh, wheeler. Oh, it's like, like a, a truck. It's, it's a truck. carrying. Yeah, it's it's a truck with uh, one of those tubes that's carrying gas or oil or All right, something. So he basically hits some of the fuel. Looks like he hit some of the fuel truck. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's why, why he's that's burning. Why he's, yes, that's why he's burning when uh, 
hyper you know hyper woman pretty much you know, comes in to try to rescue him because obviously hyperman's not overly he's not the brightest bulb let's put it this way um she's obviously the brighter of the two and i do i do like the fact when 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 they're when they're going at it about you know about his uh personal habits and his flaws and that basically she's you know she's the one who uh She's the one who paves the way for all these Green Lanterns to get killed by taking out their rings, and, and I really like the fact it's like it's like if you need help, I brought the dog. Ah, <laughs> uh, Calypso. Um, so how you know how struggling to keep it together here? You know the the ring the ring the AI in the ring is basically dying, and now we kind of have the the, the what, what are they the young guardians? Is that what they're calling them now? Because they're not the new guardians, right? I don't know. I don't know what they're calling. I them, thought they were the young guardians. But either way, you know, they kind of just little, like a little, little blue, like alien, like almost like alien gray, slightly big, less big-headed alien grays, but in blue form, kind of yeah, between the, a cross, but a cross between the guardians gray. and, the, and an alien, a, a, and a, a gray, gray alien. So yeah. they pretty much they come to Hal Jordan. They tell him it's like uh, you, you have to understand what's at stake. It's like uh, do, no matter what you do, do not engage the suspect without a weapon under no circumstances. Do as the guardians instruct. I like that panel because it's kind of Kirby esque. There's something about like a, like almost mm-hmm. like a commandy era Kirby esque. Uh, and Hal's you know Hal's trying to figure out what to do, and he and basically. Uh, his ring that's struggling to keep it together comes up with a, a brainstorm because he figures out the because Hal been basically asking for it, asking there's got to be an Achilles heel here. We got to be able to figure out an Achilles heel uh, for the hyper family, and we we find out basically that they get their powers from from a from an orange from an orange sun, and the the hype the suit that Hyperman wears basically adjusts for the yellow sun rate of radiation from our sun. Basically, making it clear to Hal that hey, you know, if we screw up this suit, then that's going to be that's going to be some unequalizer. So I, I I like the constructs of the many fists. I do like that. <laughs> so they continue to pound Hyperman all over the place, and he rips a whole lot of suits, a whole holes in Hyperman's suit. That weakens him enough where Hal really gets a nice serious shot and clocks him across the mouth. And he has a, he has the upper hand, but then all of a sudden. Uh, Hyperman starts using sound because he call he, he is also calling Clipso, but he's kind of like using hyper sound to hurt Hal, and his ears start to bleed. And and Clipso comes in and latches onto Hal, and it looks like he's dead or going to be in trouble. Then all of a sudden, you know these the the I almost want to call them Hawk people, but they're not. But these bird the bird people that latched onto Hal when because right that's who these are supposed to be. The, the, the little hatchlings. I have no I think, idea. I think they're supposed to be the hat because they're in costume now. How am I? How the f- am are, I supposed I, to know? They are. They are in costumes now, but I think. Well, yeah, one. one. It's just he, one he of them. In costume. And they're calling him Uncle Hal, which is kind of, which. But either way, I think we're supposed to believe these are the the hatchlings that basically latched on to Hal because he was one of the fir- you know one of the first things that they saw. So they have a they have a bond with Hal, and he's I think in issue two. I think he's the one who told them to skedaddle or issue three, whatever the hell it was. So they they take on they take on Clipso here and they pretty much fry him. I like the fact that <laughs> I, I like the fact that he's down to a skeleton and and then when when Ultraman's getting all crazy, he's like you killed my dog, and it's like well sure that's how it looks right now, but give him a couple of months he'll be good as new. <laughs> yeah, I don't that really doesn't work too well. Um, 
So he 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 gets Hal gets blasted with. Was it's not heat vision now, is it? It's, is that supposed to be their heat vision or is it cold vision? I forget. I forget what co- I forget yeah, what color. Let me go back and see what color it was when she blasted. But it doesn't. It was. It was red was when red. she so blasted. Let's, let's assume that it's it's like it's like some kind of cold vision or whatever. But either way, she, he blasts Hal. Hal's kind of like out of it, but he's not. He's not unconscious, nor is he dead. And of course, because this guy's a sadist, he uh, Hyperman goes back to uh, Miss Astra there to. Basically, he's gonna start. Looks like he's gonna start crushing her head, but of course, uh, he makes a critical mistake of underestimating Hal. Hal's back on. Hal's back on his feet. You know, he smashes the living crap out of Ultraman. Um, and Hal has his big moment. He, you know, he, he he places him. He places him under arrest. As he's doing that, <clears throat> the Lantern True and partner show up behind Hal, along with the uh, flying people. The Bird, the Birdman, uh, and as he's doing that, it's like a, he's going, Hyperman, you're under arrest. You're done, you bastard. You, your rotten family. And all of a sudden, Hal starts, Hal starts fading out. Barry also shows up now, who was trapped in a time bubble, which makes sense because we know he was frozen and he couldn't move at the end of last issue, right before Hal got attacked. And now we see Hal collapses, and it's like his ring is dead. And you know, Jordan, he's, he's not too good either. She's got a strange attitude for Zudarin, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we need a medic. Uh, Lantern Lantern Brock required immediately, and it's like, Hal Jordan is dying, and you hear the Guardians The guardians are kind of observing all this and going, did we not warn him? Warn him, excuse me. So begins the Ultra War. <clears throat> I did, I did, uh. I will give credit where, well, I'm, okay, I shouldn't say that because I'm actually giving myself credit. I actually looked up Lantern Brock, <laughs> because that, because I I but Lan- Lantern Brock is actually an old an old school Green Lantern who was around for a long time certainly served during during Blackest Night because uh but his his claim to fame pretty much is that he has the ability to use his his long his long emphatic testicle testicles <laughs> we got I'm not gonna edit that out but that's perfect tentacles that reminds me of Better Off Dead he put his testicles all over me. <laughs> Uh, using his long, emphatic tentacles to aid in its... So he basically acts as a living ambulance. He has a natural ability to soothe an injury. So that is that is what his unique ability is, and that is why the, the lantern, lantern True, is calling for him to come rescue Hal. So that is the only bit... That is the only bit of Morrison-related research I bothered to do related to the story, but... So first of all, obviously Liam kills it. He gives us another style that he is capable of uh, doing and aping a little bit of Jack Kirby. Uh, I almost get sometimes a little bit of vibe of like an animated series here or there. Um, uh, the the fact that they're doing the um, what do they call uh, what do they call the dots the the pointillism the fact that they do some of the pointillism for a lot of this stuff. Uh, all the all the dots and stuff uh, in the serpent, you know, uh, just in the background, really fantastic, really matches sort of the Kirby S style. Uh, and, and yeah, so Liam is really just showcasing quite a bit of what he's actually capable of, uh, and obviously he's capable of a lot, and he's doing a fantastic job. Morrison, on the other hand, I want to punch <laughs> in the dick because. 
I, I don't know. I, look, I get it. This one was a straight, more, a more straightforward one. It's more dialed down. I still felt relatively lost. Um, but I, I admit my bias now uh, because I told you guys with issue two of season two, I, I've written off this series by this point. So I completely account for that. So I won't, uh, I won't allow my opinion on on the storytelling or, or writing. To, and, and just sit here and pretend that it's not impacted by the fact that I've already sort of gone into, you know, page one of every new issue from here on out with uh, sort of a bias against it. So I account for that uh, and I'll I'll stop harping on the story from there. You know, there's no point. Uh, but again, Liam kills it. Um, the other thing I was going to say. So I actually recently watched um, the Justice League uh um, Justice League Dark was it Justice League or Justice League Dark uh, Apocalypse War that's supposed to end this current iteration of the DC directed DVD animated universe where John Constantine joins the league that whole thing um, in that story uh, Darkseid goes to Oa and wipes out the core and the guardians and the central power battery I had a problem with that not just because you know Darkseid wipes, you know, just because the core is pretty basically decimated and the Guardian's taken out and all this stuff. But I had a problem with it because Darkseid goes to Oa by himself. He's not amped up on, let's say, source wall energy. He doesn't have any special armor like he does in, say, the nail or another nail, rather. Um, nothing like that. It's just, it's just straight up Darkseid by himself. No Desaad, no no anybody. And he he wipes out the core single-handedly. I didn't like that because I don't believe Darkseid should have that sort of power. Is he a new god? Should he be able to give the, the Green Lantern core a fight, give the Guardians a fight? Yes. Should it be close or relatively close? Or should there be a couple of moments where it looks like, oh shit, there goes the core? Yes, because Darkseid is basically the... I mean, and forgive the pun, given we're talking about a new god here, but the Omega level threat in the DCU because he's like the the villain apparently for the DCU. So yes, he should have that sort of uh, threat, be that sort of threat level for for the core, but he shouldn't be able to just wipe them out by himself. I was a little more okay with you know his abilities or whatever when when I was reading because forgive me, it's fresh in my mind. Uh, there was a deluxe edition collection of the nail and another nail, uh, the uh, Elseworld stories, uh, in, in a trade paperback that came out a couple of months ago. Uh, I got it, but I hadn't yet read it yet. I just did that the other night, so it's fresh in my mind. And in that, like, Darkseid gets equipped with this crazy armor that Desaad had whipped up that's connected to this machine that... Darkseid had built that's going to wipe out, you know, basically every living thing within several light years of its implosion or whatever. And this armor is somehow connected to this bomb. So not only when it goes off, is he going to be okay, but also he can draw power from this device. And so like something like that where Darkseid is amped up or whatever, you know, that sort of still bothers me, but at least it makes sense in a way. And Darkseid by himself doesn't. I say all of this to say... Along the same lines, should Heat Vision really damage a Green Lantern ring? Probably not, I would suspect. 
It, it, look, I, I don't think a Green Lantern ring should just be utterly indestructible. But don't we need to be careful about what can affect it? Like, I get that maybe Sinestro, with his knowledge of the core, how the ring works, the power, the fear that he wields, all this stuff, can maybe apply all of that knowledge and all of that power to destroying a ring. That sort of makes sense to me. You know, fear, the antithesis, antithesis of will, and, and this sort of a thing. But just having random other things, like heating the ring up too much with some heat vision, I, I, I don't know if I like the idea of the ring just being destroyed super easily. Because a lot of different beings have uh, various heat visions, laser visions, whatever the hell you want to call it. Do we want to say Hyperman and his wife or whatever here is on the exact same power level as Superman? Are they a little bit less powerful? Um, do we want to say maybe only Superman's heat vision could potentially damage the ring for X factor or whatever? I, I don't know, but like it sort of bothered me. That's that. I mean, outside of it's Morrison, doing his Morrison thing, and I'm sort of just pissed off about the series in general at this point. Plot-wise, that was a that was a choice that was like, wait, really? To me. And uh, I don't know, like... It'd be one thing if it was like, it, because it's Hal's ring and he made it himself, maybe there's some sort of a weakness to it. Like, he made it himself, so there's he's got a special connection with it. He's got maybe some unique access to various powers he's have, but also maybe his ring has weaknesses other rings don't have. But it, it, that's completely negated by the fact that she's done this trick on other lanterns. So clearly this heat vision trick works on a standard green lantern ring. So the fact that it works on Hal's ring, whether we, we want to think Hal's ring is more powerful than a regular green lanterns ring or has a special week, whatever the fact that it works on Hal's ring and on regular green lantern rings I don't know. I just had a problem with it. I thought I'd bring it up uh, within the context of that that recent animated feature. Um, I don't personally. I I don't think. I mean, I, it, it kind of brings me back to that concept I've I've been talking about off and on for a while now. Is that we should sort of have a Green Lantern Bible? You know, how does the ring work? What are the, I mean? I'm not saying you can't play with it and add or detract new things as we go, but let's sort of work within the confines of what we already know. Let's establish something. And I think the weaknesses of a green lantern, the weaknesses of the ring, the weaknesses of the software or the hardware or whatever should be something that's well established and just random heat vision, destroying the ring. It doesn't make sense to me. If you want to do something crazy, like uh, what, what do they call it? Um, What's this new thing, the the new version of Heat Vision that Supergirl and Superman have, where like they just pour all of their power into the Heat Vision and they sort of burn themselves out for a couple days? It has a special name. Uh, I'm not going to be able to help you there. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I know that they showcased it a little bit on the season one of uh, the Supergirl show. I know it was a big talked about deal when it, w- it was uh, released in the comics. It's just like a an uber, you know, sort of version of, 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 of Heat Vision where it's just like, all of their, uh, all of the solar energy stored within the Kryptonian cells just gets uh, dumped into this heat vision blast, and that's how, you know. And, and for the next 
you know, a couple of days, week, two weeks, whatever the, the case may be, whatever the story calls for, I guess, that that Kryptonian is without power for a little bit while they're sort of recharging their cells with the, with the yellow sun's radiation. Like I could see if you wanted uh, a story point where they, they do that, I could see maybe saying, okay, that could destroy a green lantern ring, but just standard heat vision blast. I, I don't know. No, I, I get it. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I don't disagree with you. I think it's, it seems awfully convenient, uh, but I, I I don't know I, who the, I mean I I really don't know what the what the point of it I don't know what the point of any of this is <laughs> I other than other than Morrison being you know Morrison being Morrison I just I don't entirely know um, yeah I, I I really don't know it's it's really it's really hard for me to get enthused about about any of this. Now this is now this is a hell of a lot better than uh the last issue. So the last issue was a the last issue was a was a friggin' nightmare. Uh, thank God for thank God for Myron. But the reality is yeah I would I had the last issue was the that was as that was oh that was about as bad as issue two was of this season. So we look we look at it's like it's weird though because it's almost like this season on some level seems like it should be more enjoyable because because even though there may still end up being this overarching uh, master plot that's going on or master storyline it's a little more sp- it seems a little more spread out as opposed to we knew the dark you know we knew the dark the black stars were the predominant predominant threat in the first in the first years worth even though they had some issues where they kind of seemed to fall by the wayside I just I don't know I just it's not really enjoyable it's it's hard I I personally I personally think it's hard to enjoy this book certainly week you know ep, issue in issue out I just think it's hard and you just yeah I don't I don't I don't read it until we record like, I mean, I don't mean, like, the minute we start recording, but an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever. Maybe at the earliest, my lunch break before we record. Um, it just, when you say, this is at the top of my to-read pile or whatever, like, this is at the bottom, you know? I'm not going to read it until it's time to read it, uh, until I absolutely have to read it. Far Sector? Now, that's, you know, higher up. You know, it's not the first thing I read, because they're actually... Like just absolutely fantastic books that I are, are just way above and beyond that I, I have to read ASAP. But I mean, Far Sector is in the top ten percent for sure. But this one is just, you know, I don't want to say it's a chore to read because I do look forward to seeing what the, whatever Liam does uh, because he, he, I mean, he showcases so many different styles and 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 different capabilities. He puts so much detail and work into it. Um, I, I just, I really do enjoy his art and I'm actually glad I have the first volume of this in hardcover on my shelf or softcover. I don't, I don't remember which one I have. Um, because if nothing else, it's a great art book, you know, you could just flip through it and go, wow, look at this beautiful green lantern book. And there's just 
you know, don't worry about the story. Let's, you know, you're going to be lost. But the, the, the art is beautiful. And, you know, to have something like this, uh, especially season two, given the various different art styles that Liam has showcased here, Matt, with this Kirby-esque stuff here, and then the sort of more, more painted stuff that we had, what, two right. issues ago? Um, you know, this is going to be a beautiful book to flip through. So, you know, it's not like I don't look forward to at least aspects of it, but man, uh, it's it, at this point, it's it's uh, almost a chore to uh, get through this thing. And this and the and the set and the sad part of this is that you is that you have two more. Well, we don't necessarily know that. The point is, we. When you have a bad issue, like you had a bad issue, like you know, like two, uh, it's almost like it seems like the odd, excuse me, the even issues are the really bad ones right now. Two was bad, four was bad. That you have an issue like this, which still isn't great, but because it's so much easier to at least understand what's going on, it almost seems it, it's almost like you're relieved. You still don't enjoy it that much, but you're relieved that, thank God, again, this was the dial down to 4 to 5 Morrison, not to cranked up to 11 Morrison. So it's, so it's not even like you're appreciating the story, per se, it's just that you're it's like, oh my God, thank God we didn't get the, you know, the, the worst he could have given us this week. So it's tough, man. It really is. So I... I, I agree. I think it's I think it's I think it's a chore from the perspective of look of looking to re, when we have to review it. I think it's not you kind of just you kind of like grin and bear it, and and it's like uh, you just kind of hope that you can understand it enough to, to be able to sum it up, <laughs> which is not really what really what the criteria shouldn't be. As far as what you know, when you're doing a book, it's like you just kind of keep your fingers crossed to the comic gods every time an issue comes out. Especially if you're the one who has to do the wrap up on it. It's like, please let this be straightforward enough where I have at least some kind of clue what's happening in this issue. So at least no. using that criteria, this issue passes that. It's like this issue on the surface was rel- was mostly straightforward. Yes, it's Morrison throwing in other stuff that is really important to people, to Morrison and people who love probably multiversity and people who want to go back and and spend a lot of time researching names and different characters. And but I'm kind of getting to the point where I did the Green Lantern thing because I thought it was because I thought it was relevant and it sounded a little familiar. But I don't want to be pulling up these obscure characters from like you know the Silver Age and stuff that means nothing that mean nothing to me. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. Um, all right, man. What 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 do we want to do next? Uh, up to you. Which one? Whichever one you want to go with first. It'll be quick. Let's just do eBay real quick. So the other day I was on eBay, as occasionally I get the inclination to do, just to randomly search. I don't know, Ragman, Ragman original art, Green Lantern, Green Lantern original art, that sort of stuff. Just see what they got out there. You never know what's going to be up for auction. Sometimes I just forget eBay exists. You know, I'll go onto Amazon or something and just be poking around and blowing money over there. And it's only every couple of months or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably check eBay. Just so happened to check eBay the other day. And somebody was selling 
a sketch. Uh, it looks like a full blown, uh, maybe commission, uh, or whatever. It could, you know, sometimes artists will just flat out draw something they think is cool and just sell it on their website. I'm not sure what the origin of this is, if someone specifically requested it or not. But a uh, artist by the name of Dean Zachary apparently did a uh, a standard, you know, kind of comic page sized uh, 11.5 by 19 Green Lantern versus Nexus artwork. It's pencils only, no uh, no inks. Um, but basically, it's the the main focus of it is a huge face. Uh, split down the middle with an energy bolt. And on one side is half of Kyle Rayner's face with his crab mask, and the other half of the face is Nexus. And in front of them is two full body shots of Kyle Rayner and Nexus, you know, kind of bumping fists and, and you know, uh, basically like uh, energy, their, their various energies colliding right there when they do that. And it's fantastic because uh, obviously everybody knows, I'm not going to tell my origin story of how I got into comics, but Obviously, Nexus was heavily involved in there, and you guys know my love of Steve Rude. He was the first person I had over on uh, Creative Credit, that sort of a thing. And this is classic Kyle Rayner outfit and going up against Nexus. And apparently, Dean Zachary is one of the only people to have ever worked on both both characters' titles in some fashion or another. I don't have his Nexus work pulled up in front of me. But the Elseworlds annual that uh, had uh, the Green Lantern, I think it was annual number eight, um, with the John Stewart story. Uh, Dean Zachary did the art for that. So he is an official Green Lantern artist, as in having worked on the, t- on the character officially for DC Comics in some capacity once. Um, I was hesitant to buy it. Uh, it was originally up on uh, eBay for $80 or best offer. Um, because it was just pencils, and it seems like, I mean, as much as I love Nexus and as much as I love Green Lantern, and this was the perfect combination, seems like something just obscure enough, like nobody else is really going to be specifically looking for this or like wanting it as much as maybe I would. Uh, plus, it was just pencils. I was really hoping it was inks as well. So uh, I offered 65, and that was accepted. So I have that on the, on its way. I'm, I'm actually have, hoping to have it inked. At some point, um, I've only ever done actual commissions. I've never actually had something where I, you know, had something already drawn and then give it specifically to an inker to be inked. Um, so I'm not sure what that process is like and, and how much it costs and that sort of thing. But it's really cool. I will, um, I will save the one of the, fo- I will save the photo and uh, give it to Mark to uh, post over on the website uh, whenever. We post the episode, just you know, connect it to the the post for the episode if you guys want to check it out and take a look. Um, but I just thought it was cool, uh, something very unique and definitely officially connected to Green Lantern in some way by having Dean Zachary uh, being a part of it. It was a cool find. It was a uh, certainly up your wheelhouse, uh, in your wheelhouse, up something else, I suppose. About it, up your alley, uh, <laughs> up your. <laughs> This is the up yours part of the show. That yeah, is yeah, that was that was pretty cool that, that that was available available for you. So that 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 was a nice little pick me up for you. Yeah, for sure. Definitely something. Definitely something. Uh, I um, you know, gave me a little thrill to purchase, and 
We'll talk about some other purchases in a little bit. <laughs> go ahead. Feel free. Go. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, I purchased, uh, I pre-ordered a couple of things actually over on Amazon. Let me pull up on my Amazon app here so I can just, you know, make sure I'm not referring to these things in the wrong way here. Uh, two things that were already out, uh, and two things that were actually scheduled to release on the same day, which is, uh, today as we record this. Uh, I, just for, you know, the complete section of the story, I ordered a novel called The Rise of Io, which is uh, written by Wesley Chu, who did a series called um, The Lives of Tao. And basically that is um, a really cool series. Look, I, I, I've been I, I, I sort of with with being in, into comics and podcasting and then, you know, going through the surgeries that I had and just sitting on my ass watching TV. It was actually really nice to come back to novels. I, I forgot how much I just straight up enjoyed reading just a, a flat prose book because, uh, man, I devoured, you know, almost a book a day for a little bit. So just in, in the interest of that, if you guys are looking for a good novel, here's here's the here's the premise of The Lives of Tao, just to, to really quickly get it out there. Millions and millions of years ago, aliens crashed to Earth, you know, before, you know, almost before dinosaurs. And these beings are from a planet where they, they basically have an essence and, and sort of they're almost like floating, shimmering, you know, creatures with real no physical body. But they can't survive in our atmosphere. But when they right before they decide to crash land on Earth, they can at least detect that down there there is pockets of atmosphere where they can survive. They didn't know at the time that that meant within the creatures that inhabit the Earth. And uh, these creatures are called the Quasing. Well, they crash to Earth, and the Quasing, you know, some a lot of them die, some of them survive. And the ones that survive start inhabiting various creatures, dinosaurs, whatever. And they basically have been around since before we are. They played a role in deciding what whether the Neanderthals or the Cro-Magnons would be the ones to evolve into, you know, the, the dominant species on the planet. They were behind the world wars and other conflicts and uh, Renaissance and the plague and, and all this other stuff. Well, they are in two factions. Uh, one is the Prophets, which believe it is they're, they're on humanity's side. You know, they don't believe that just for the Quasing to get home that they should destroy humanity and destroy this planet. And then you have the Genjiks, which believe that we're just a commodity and they were here first and screw the humans. Uh, so uh, it's basically sort of like a secret agent sort of a thing meets alien sci-fi sort of a thing. Uh, because Tao, one of the Prophets, reluctantly has to inhabit this tech guy, this IT guy who's super lazy or whatever, and turn him into an agent for the Prophets to fight the Genjiks. Really cool series. I, I highly recommend it to everybody. But uh, I ordered uh, The Rise of Io, which is in the same world, but after all the storytelling in, in that series. And more on the comic book side, DC put out a hardcover of DC's first issue specials. Uh, collected in there, and, and I thought that was really cool, so I picked that up. Well, I also pre-ordered two things. Um, something called uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Guide to a Bodacious Life, which uh, came out today uh, and will obviously be on its way soon. Um, just a short little book. It's kind of like a self-help sort of thing, but in the style of Bill and Ted, it was cheap. I decided, what the hell, why not? 
Um, but I also ordered Green Lantern 80 Years Emerald Knight, the Deluxe Edition. Because, like I said, if it comes out, it's Green Lantern related, and I can afford it in the year 2020, I'm going to buy it so that I can show people that, you know, this is this is something I want to see more, more Green Lantern merch. Well, today I saw something that I just had to um, had to share. Uh, so Myron over at the, the, the blog of OA had posted an article breaking down the contents of the book um, uh, because it wasn't really known. People were like, okay, well, five years ago they released the 75th uh, anniversary hardcover collection. Is DC just going to put out the same thing but with an 80-year trade dress? And you know, if I already have the 75, what the hell is the point? of uh of getting the the 80th well apparently only like four or five things are the same as the 75th and a lot of other stuff is completely new to this in terms of a collected edition and it was not in the 75th but on the back of the trade dress which i hadn't seen and wasn't mentioned by myron because he hadn't seen it is a couple of things and and uh, and you know, it says celebrate comics history with the 80th anniversary of All American Comics number 16 and the debut of The Green Lantern, featuring iconic stories selected from eight decades of the Emerald Knight, including classic appearances of all the Earth Green Lanterns. Okay, all the Earth Green Lanterns, and they list them off, and they say Alan Scott, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, Simon Baz, Jessica Cruz, and the latest ring slinger Ty Fan. <laughs> okay, all right, so that's. Problem number one, and if you're a big fan, you already know what it is. Continuing on, the, includes the never-before-reprinted Origin of Vandal Savage, written by the great science fiction author Alfred Bester, and drawn by Alan Scott's co-creator, Martin O'Dell. Commentary from comics historians and former Green Lantern writers, artists, and editors, including Jerry Bales, Dave Gibbons, Mark Guggenheim, Dennis O'Neill, Jeff Johns, and Min Lee. Okay, two problems here. First of all, who is Kyle Rayner and who is Joe Mullion? Kyle Rayner's not mentioned, which is interesting because his first appearance is in this is in this title, in this collected edition. But he's not mentioned at all after the words classic appearances of all the Earth Green Lanterns. Not mentioned. The latest ring senior, Ty Pham, Joe Mullion from Far Sector is not mentioned. Interestingly enough, I thought it might have been because maybe by the time they were you know, finalizing this this collected edition, maybe Joe wasn't out. Thing is, Joe's first issue in Far Sector appeared months before Ty Pham's Green Lantern Legacy book. So it's not that. It has nothing to do with which one came first. So both Lantern Joe and Kyle Rayner are not mentioned in this. Kyle appears in this title, but... Uh, Lantern Joe is not mentioned on the back, nor is any issue or segment of Far Sector in this collected edition. Seems like it sucks. Uh, also, and drawn by Alan Scott's co-creator, Martin O'Dell. Look, Martin O'Dell does not get a lot of credit. You don't see his name in various issues. You don't see Green Lantern appear in a film or animated feature or anything in, you know, in the same way you see Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, you don't see Green Lantern created by Martin O'Dell or even co-created. You don't see that anywhere. So it's cool to see Martin O'Dell finally get a mention, but you're, they're wrong. Martin O'Dell is not the co-creator of Green Lantern. He is the creator 
of Green Lantern. Martin O'Dell came up with the idea, the design, and most of the most all of the story. Because he took it in, he pitched it, he already had five to eight pages or something like that written up and scripted and everything. And they brought in Bill Finger later to touch it up and finish it. Okay? This is not a Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Batman situation in which Bob Kane took all of the credit for Batman, but Bill Finger really did work on it and had equal ownership of Batman alongside Bob Kane. This is not the same situation. If anything, at the if you're gonna if if you're gonna give credit to Bill Finger in any way, you should say Green Lantern created by Martin O'Dell, scripted by Bill Finger. Which still is inaccurate because a big portion of that story was scripted already and taken care of by Martin O'Dell. So I don't know what's going on in DC that they want to play sort of this game here and not give Martin O'Dell the credit he deserves. I get that with the big controversy and everything. And it was it was big news when they finally like DC was like, no, no, no. Yeah, Bill Finger, definitely, you know, co-creator of Batman, along with Bob Kane. It's not just Bob Kane. I remember a bunch of articles, Newsarama, ComicBook.com, all this stuff. Everybody talking a lot of when that was finally like admitted to like, yes, it was. It was equal parts Bob Kane and Bill Finger. It was not e- the same story for Green Lantern. Alan Scott, Green Lantern, just the name Green Lantern, created by Martin O'Dell, period. I'm not saying Bill Finger shouldn't get any credit because he worked on it. He was a part of it, but he wasn't as an instrumental in the process of that character, his narrative, his creation, as he was with Batman. It is not the same thing. So that's my two 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 things there. Uh, it irritated me. I already pre-ordered pre-ordered this book, so you know I can't you know. As much as these things irritate me, I'm not going to just cancel the order or whatever. Um, but it it was very frustrating, and I'll let you decide which one is more important to you in terms of being upset that Kyle Rayner and or Joe are not mentioned on the back. Or that uh, that they didn't give Martin O'Dell the just credit he deserves. I mean, like I said, he's never mentioned. So in a way, it's cool to see co-created by Martin O'Dell just to Martin O'Dell just to get the name out there. But that's also inaccurate. Just created by Martin O'Dell. Period. Yeah, I I, I can I see both. I think both of those things are equally distressing i suppose or almost equally uh in the big picture the nodell thing obviously is more of a slap in the face but the kyle thing is even as somebody who's is not i like kyle but clearly he's not my you know hashtag not my green lantern at ultimately but yeah i mean if you're mentioning throwing out that list of lanterns and everybody's favorites <laughs> sorry myron <laughs> Oh, actually, actually, no, Myron's with us. I'm sorry. This was a Dan reference. Sorry, Dan. Everybody's favorite except – sorry, Dan, uh, Simon Baz. <laughs> but, yeah, Kyle. You know, Kyle, who was only Green Lantern for like about 10 years. I was like, no, the, the, Green, the Green Lantern for like about 10 years. It's like, yeah, I think it's, it's just sloppy. And DC is just 
especially when it comes to Green Lantern stuff lately, they're, they're just, especially, they're just sloppy. They're just sloppy. It's like, it's just, it's, it gets, it gets old. It's like, uh, but, I don't know, DC being sloppy isn't anything new. It's like, look, 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 even when we were getting tons of Green Lantern merchandise, like, how, how many times did they get the, did they get the Blue Lantern symbol upside down? <laughs> Right, <laughs> almost. It was almost like clockwork. In fact, you, you were lucky if you got, if you got a piece of merchandise that had the symbol correct. The odds were against it all the time. I'm, I'm looking at the same, the Blackest Night bust. Yes, they got the symbol, which makes it even more glaring. They got the symbol right on his chest, but the symbol on the base of the bust is wrong. It's like, hello, basic quality control. Don't you re- recognize that these two things are not are not the same? But it's just, I don't know. It's but at least at least we'll be able to talk about that book. So, um, hope, you know, hopefully it'll be. Uh, we may we probably won't go through it the way we went through the the uh, hundred page spectacular, but we maybe we can just pick some stories and talk about it or our overall thoughts. Are you getting into it? I as just well? ordered it now as we were talking. So, um, <clears throat> so oh, yeah, gotcha. I've I, I thought. Yeah, today's Tuesday as we record this, the fourteenth. Uh, Amazon says that's its release date. I guess technically it is since DC has a different distributor now and it wouldn't necessarily be Wednesday, but I would assume it mine probably doesn't ship until the earliest, uh, the earliest Wednesday, but I did choose longer delivery times for the free shipping. Yeah. Mine is supposed to be here by Friday. Um, yeah, mine says, but my my stuff says it's all going to come in one package and it still says it's not going to be here till the 28th. What else did you order with it? But that's got it. That's that's got to change, though. Well, I, I ordered two things that were um, already in stock, and then that Bill and Ted thing that also released this had a release date as the same day as the Green Lantern thing. Hmm, that is interesting. But yeah, so we'll see. Uh, a lot, a lot of those stories I don't actually have in story form. Looking at look, what's it was more fun? But as you were talking about the Kyle thing, the thing that stood out to me about the Kyle thing was it's actually. There's actually more than one story with Kyle in that thing, so <laughs> so you would think leaving him out would be, is kind of like a kind of like a sore thumb. Obviously, issue 50 had Kyle's first appearance as as Green Lantern, uh, but they also but they also have issue three. They have what issue 100, which is what the that's the prelude to Emerald Knights, to how to how uh, Kyle team up, and they have Hate Crime, which is 154. So that's a, that's yet another Kyle mm. issue. So considering that's one with yes, Terry, right? And they technically say they have Green Lantern, even though that. Uh, what what was Kyle's Kyle's first appearance was technically what was it? It was forty forty eight when when Hal, Hal was flying off into space. No, that was that was forty nine, right? Because fifty was Kyle's Kyle's first solo issue. No, so Kyle's first solo issue was fifty one. 50 was the end of Emerald Twilight. Oh, 51. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, 51. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right, because Hal was flying off of Earth, right. and the last time when 50 ended, it was the Parallax Which is it? So I, I guess 49 isn't... Maybe... Wait, did he... Was, was the Emerald Street that Kyle saw from the beach with Alex... Uh, Ganthic coming down, or the oh, ring coming the down somehow, or was it just was it Hal flying off of Earth? Hal flying off of Earth. 
Pennsylvania would have been 48. It couldn't have been Ganthet coming down because remember, by the time he was coming down, Kyle was already in the bar. <laughs> even if you buy the even if you yeah. buy the origin where he went, you know the where he went to see Guy first. The point is, I'm pretty. I think it's 48. I don't have it in front of me. I think it's 48 because 49 wouldn't make sense because Hal's already in space in 49. I'm assuming that's right. there. I'm yeah, assuming, so yeah, it would be I'm 48. I'm assuming that's there just because either partially because of the iconic cover, the Daryl cover, but also because that's when he wipes out all the Green Lanterns and you get the Sinestro splash page. I'm guessing that's the reason why they chose that uh, because because they already had issue 50. And maybe that, I mean, I don't know. You could make a case they could have put all three of those books in if you're going to do 49 and 50. But yeah, they have some, uh, it's unfortunate. Well, it, it is kind of unfortunate they have uh, the first issue of the Morrison run. <laughs> that's, that's a little too recent, but I know they're trying to cover all the all the different eras, even though they don't have anything from Venditti, right? Mm, I don't but think yet they so. have Green Lanterns. I don't. Ha- I, don't I don't. I don't have it. I'm in looking front of at me. it now because I'm actually on, on the. I'm on the page on, on Myron's here. Myron's so post. It does yeah. not. It does not appear because the most the most recent stuff after the Green Lantern secret files was Green Lanterns Green Lanterns number fifteen, and then the uh, the first issue of Morrison, and then the uh, Training Day thing from Green Lantern Legacy. So they so that's a pretty big gap actually. That's kind of an odd. That's kind of an odd gap. Which I would, I don't know. I think that kind of is a slight. That's also what issue? What issue from from Venditti's stuff? Would I don't. You put I, in something like I this? don't know. But then again, I wouldn't be pushing, putting anything from Green Lanterns in either. But I'm just saying that. I'm just saying if you want, it's it's certainly not on the sliding scale of of kicks kicks to the groon. It's not anywhere as bad as the Nodell thing or even the Kyle slight, but considering how long Venditti was writing Green Lantern between two different books, it it and if they're trying to be if they're trying to be inclusive, uh, I know it's not like the hundred page you know the hundred page giant where they were, but still you would think considering they you know they you know, they have Green Lantern Mosaic number one which is kind of which kind of is a nice. Uh, Nice throw in, but it's just it's just in, it's just interesting that they, that that one era that they don't. But again, they don't have a they they have you know they have Green Lantern's Light by Jeff Johns in the Secret Files from 2005. But you so you could also make a case they clearly don't have a whole hell of a lot. They don't have a whole hell of a lot from the uh, Johns era either. So maybe it isn't as blatantly a slap in the face towards towards Venditti. But it, it is it is an interesting selection of books, in time, in time periods. So. Maybe the relic one shot. Let me see. I'm trying to. I'm just scrolling through the. I'm scrolling through the stuff in here in terms of Venditti's run that you would put in. Maybe the Black Hand story where he comes back. That 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 could be you know that could be it too. It could be that it's harder to find one select issue that's not so related to other arcs, um, unless you wanted to throw in the uh, the fracture, the last issue of fracture. Maybe I don't know. I I, I agree. It's it's hard to think of something that's signature 
for Robert Venditti, but but he did so many. He did so. He was on the book for so long. It's kind of hard not to. But that's just me. That's just me looking at the list now. One of the, one of the things that comes to mind. Uh, well, that was. I was just looking at the Green Lantern when it was still titled Green Lantern. Now I'm looking at the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern core covers, trying to remember. Yeah, there's not really anything. It's all two issue arcs or whatever. Maybe the fight between Arkillo and Guy. Uh, yeah. Because that was, I think, all in all contained in issue sixteen. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, unless you wanted to, unless you really wanted to zero in on to, to do to more to do more guy stuff, I I don't. I, I don't know. That'd be something for maybe for another day. To actually, for us, to, if if we were going to look through and either a come up with a, the definitive Vindity arc. And then maybe come down to the definitive, not because we need to have an episode on it, just because of com- of moments like this. Just so, so when we're when we're talking and there's collections and we see something that's either not in it or or something that's in it over something else, it's like, well, that wouldn't have been our choice because we would put this in. But it's just, it just like I said, it just it just grabbed me just by looking at just because it seems like it's there's a especially since there's a lot there's a lot of st- a, rel- a decent amount of stuff there from uh from the Kyle run. And it, and yet there's not a lot from, from even from the beginning of the uh, Jeff Johns era until the Morrison era. There's still not a whole lot of material. But since you're celebrating 80 years, you don't necessarily have to. But it is. That's so. all. Hopefully it'll be good. All right. What do you got right, for so, me, man? But, well, let me let me do, let me segue into this. And the first, I'm assuming the the base first the first question I'm assuming is going to be rhetorical, but it may not necessarily be. So, surprising some people, but maybe not in the big picture. That shocking it wasn't that shocking overall. Last week, Universal decided to push Halloween Kills from October of this year to October of 2021. 20, and dropped a relatively meaningless uh, teaser trailer, which just confirmed what the rumors were anyway, and, and that the movie's more or less going to pick up well after the last one ended. But the thing that resonated with me when that uh, popped into my head immediately when they did that was I thought of the MCU. So the initial question to you is on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being it's a slam dunk it's going to happen, and 1 being there's no chance it's going to happen, what do you think the odds are Black before we know it Black Widow gets pushed to 2021? 10 it's going to happen. They're going to push it. So, so Yeah. The, the thing that popped into my head was now again this and this these things could answer themselves depending on obviously if they cancel ramping up production on Shang-Chi and other stuff, some of the stuff may have to answer itself. <laughs> but working under the belief that Shang-Chi might actually be finished and be able to be released sometime before before May of 2021, do you think that Marvel should now just basically do the Fast and Furious, and they were kind of ahead of the curve, giving Universal credit on this, the idea that they didn't play games. They were like the first major, I think the first major movie to cancel, and they just said, hey, we're going to go from, from May of 20 to May of 21. Do you think Marvel will now, once when they when the inevitable happens and they push Black Widow out of November, do you think they put Black Widow back into the May spot for 2021, as opposed to just cont- 
No, I don't. I think I think because now they have an actual understanding of uh, what the maybe pre-orders or, or pre-ticket purchases or general hype and enthusiasm was for this movie. And I think they might like it's a Marvel movie. People are going to go see it regardless just for that. Uh, not everybody, but some some people will go see it, obviously, just for that. But it just didn't seem like there was a lot of hype around Black Widow. So I think now that they, you know, they they were ramping up and but they were forced to not release it on time. Maybe now that they have to sort of reschedule things, maybe that will play a factor in their consideration. And they'll go, you know what, May's too valuable of a spot to have an underperforming Marvel movie in the vein of, I don't know, what's an underperforming Marvel movie? The first Ant-Man? Well, Something like that? That's kind of... Just, but that's Generally kind of where speaking. I'm going with it because of the, because let's this is this is part of the problem. This is the ultimate irony here could be, and, and we mean it in the general sense that like, that what no one else could, but but DC and nobody else has been able to do. You know, Marvel's own hodgepodge of a schedule along with COVID nineteen could be could do help do Marvel into the MCU into a certain extent. They have a re, as far as proven commodities as far not. Ca- they their first three movies, they had nothing locked in that you knew was going to be. Oh, this is going to be a huge hit, guaranteed. Black Widow was the closest of the three, between Eternals and Shang Chi. All three of the first three releases were okay. We know Black Widow; she'll probably do well because of, the, of Endgame and the sentimentality. And people are going to be. It's going to be the first MCU movie, MC, Marvel Studios movie, since Endgame. But, and that was my point, I, now that they might have an opportunity to reset, I thought once they, I thought once they made it, once it was clear they couldn't release Black Widow during the summer, they made a mistake by not just, not just pushing it, doing the Fast and Furious mode and go, let's push it to May. Because Marvel does not release gambles in May. The riskiest movies they've ever released in May was the original Iron Man, and that wasn't a risk in the sense that you thought it was going to bomb. You just didn't know how big, a, how successful it was going to be. You didn't think it was going to be a dud. Right. And Thor, but Thor at that point came out. You already had Iron Man and Iron Man 2. So you, Thor was going to be moderately successful no matter what because people were now interested in the Avengers. And they knew Thor and Captain America that year were building towards the Avengers the following year. So I thought it was a mistake all along, especially to put friggin' Shang-Chi which is currently the May release, makes, once they knew, let me, let me make it perfectly clear, once it became crystal clear Black Widow was not going to be able to release in the summer and it became crystal clear that Black that, uh, Doctor Strange was becoming kind of like a cluster, which so far it is because they can't get out of their own way with Doctor Strange. They, we don't even know if they have a script yet for Doctor Strange because we know they didn't have one when Derrickson left and now if Raimi actually stays on this project and does, and does it, because who knows if he's going to stay, because he could always leave like everybody leaves projects. Doctor Strange was supposed to be next year's May release. Once they knew Doctor Strange was off the table, I would have moved Black Widow immediately to May, because what else do you have? Nothing else is a slam dunk. So they may catch a break on this level, but they could also be in... I guess if you had to just do a straight-up bump one more time, it would kind of correct itself because I still think the Eternals is a better rolling of the dice for May than Shang-Chi because that's a huge friggin' risk. Even if the Chinese box office is completely back to normal by then, domestically, that's still a, that's still 
not a slam dunk. I don't think The Eternals is either, but The Eternals has a big, relatively big name cast. You can make it look good. Uh, maybe. But they, but the other issue is Marvel's really getting screwed here because of the, because of how they, in my opinion, how they chose to start off the bat with these unknown, relatively minor properties that they have all these other movies that the, that are now being bottlenecked. Because who... Because originally they were supposed to have three MCU movies. Originally, three MCU movies come out last year, next year, and Spider-Man was still supposed to be coming out in the summer. Now, as we speak, they only have two MCU movies scheduled, February and May, and because Sony pushed Spider-Man to November, Marvel doesn't have an, a November movie currently scheduled. So if they get pushed back, they almost have to go back and fit, and fit a movie in next summer if that, or in the early fall because they're going to be hopelessly behind. Now, hopelessly is, is not true, but they're going to be really behind because as it is, they were, they were jam-packing, which I think also thought was a mistake, Thor and Doctor Strange into February and March, respectively, of 2022. And now that's going to be pushed back. I think Black Panther is still supposed to be May of 2022. We know we have Captain Marvel. But they got to figure out when when to do. We got they have the third Ant Man movie. They got to figure out when's com- when that's coming out. Blade. When the hell they're going to do Fantastic Four? When the hell they're going to do the X Men? And when the hell they're going to do an Avengers movie? Because right now you can pretty much take it to the bank. You, there's no almost no way. Guardians three. Guardians three now is almost guaranteed not to be seen until 2023. So you're not going to and. You still got to figure, and you still so the Avengers. There's like no way we could see any kind of Avengers movie until 2024 at this point. And part of that, yes, is COVID, but part of it's because they came up, I thought, with a really weird release schedule, which now is just kind of like the to me the flaws are being pointed out because now they have to shuffle all these things. They could catch a, they could catch a break. I mean, it's not really catching a break because they don't have another movie to go instead of to replace Shang Chi no matter what. If Shang Chi can't be, if they if they push Shang-Chi back, and let's say no matter which order they release them in, they do Black Widow and Eternals in the first two, like February and May of next year, and they push Shang-Chi back, and they don't start filming Shang-Chi, that's not really going to matter. <laughs> you know, especially if they're real- – So – no, so I know I know we're talking specifically about the movies, but what I don't understand is why – if they have to keep pushing back the cinematic releases, I don't understand why they didn't move up the Disney Plus series. Well, well first of all, because all the, because the Disney Plus series have got snagged the same way the some of them they got snagged because the the, the shows were not finished in production. So, uh, isn't uh, one of them done? Never, I thought one of them done. at least even, was no, done. Even Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they may be getting closer to done because I think they've restarted shooting in Europe. I think they've restarted shooting. But that was not done when they shut down. Neither is WandaVision. Shut down. WandaVision is not, is not done yet either. So whether that affects them coming out or not this year, one or both of those shows on Disney Plus remains to be seen. But not that wasn't complete either. I don't think... Well, they were supposed to do like Mandalorian style and just release one episode at a well, time, yeah, right? The show's still going to be done before it gets released. They're not going to... So, I yeah, I mean, all the... I mean, so... Do we know how many episodes uh, they were each supposed to be? Eight or ten. I don't remember. I don't know if... Okay, yeah, so Mandalorian so, style. So, I mean, to me, I mean, the, MC, the MCU is in an intre- is in a very interesting spot. Black, like you said, you were right. Black Widow originally didn't have a whole lot of hype. 
But then as, as we were getting closer to May, it started getting some traction. And, the, you know, the box office projections were, were, were getting a little higher. So you knew it was never going to do Avenger, any kind of Avengers money. But I think at one point it was looking like maybe around 140, 150 potential opening weekend, which is really good for that for that movie. And, yes, you might have been riding on the Avengers coattails and having the legs and stuff, but still. So I think Black Widow will do well no matter when they release it. And, and yes, if you release it first, and, and assuming the big question is you know, what theaters are like at the time Black Widow gets released – that it could be – because potentially if they did release it in February, it could be a movie with legs. It could be a movie where because of limited capacity, you're not going to have a chance to do a $150 million opening weekend. But because of the interest in the project, it could be a movie where you almost are able to do like 40 to $50 million like for three or four weeks in a row because the same – because the interest in seeing the movie is there and only a certain number of people can go see it every week because the theaters are, let's say, only operating at 50% capacity. But that's still a slam dunk. Uh, if you if you're counting on there being people are desperate or really interested in seeing a Marvel movie, no matter what it is, and that not, to me that cries out even more. You stick a movie that you're not sure about there, because you're going to have the interest right off the bat, like the Eternals. I think Shang, and Sh- again, this might answer itself because if Shang Chi doesn't really kick up production, and that and you know if they don't if they're not done filming Shang Chi by the fall, then then it may not very well not be able to be be released. Before, you know even if they wanted to release it in May. And plus, it's going to be probably – it's almost guaranteed – they push Black Widow, Shane chi has got to be pushed back because it's the only one that really isn't cl- anywhere close to being a finished movie. We know The Eternals is mostly done. They just need to do reshoots. And Black Widow, we know, is done. So it could just be – they, they literally have no choice, which could be good for them overall, box office-wise, to push Shane chi back just because it's – they're going to have no choice based on where they are in the production, but now, but you have so many things that are backlogged, and it's like, uh, and you're trying to squeeze in all the. It's just interesting that you look at between COVID and and I'm not going to get into whether they. The James Gunn thing, it all it all has to do with what they were thinking at the time. Again, I I I think they were completely justified in doing what they were doing, what they did. And they were trying to get ahead of the curve and not put your finger up and see which way the wind was blowing. Though in retrospect, that would have been better for them. But if they knew there was a chance in hell you were going to hire him back, then that's what you should have done. You should have wrote it out and see if there was a wave of bless. But Sorry. The James Gunn decision and COVID-19 are having the biggest effects on the more MCU schedule. Because Guardians 3 would have been one of the first movies out of the gate if they hadn't, if they hadn't lost Gunn and DC hadn't grabbed him. So you have all these things. Guardians three. Right now we're looking at like six years, probably at least before from the last movie. Yes, we saw them, so it's not as big a deal. Doctor Strange, for God's sake, Doctor Strange. If he even if it even comes out in 2022 now, Doctor Strange. We're talking six years from the time that movie came out. And yeah, Doctor Strange has been in three other movies, so he only had a, a he only was a, had a he only had a major role in Infinity War, and he had at least a cute cameo of. In Ragnarok, but he didn't have much to do with Endgame at all, other than um, a cool moment. But he was barely on screen. But those are some huge gaps between movies and their first sequels. And no, let's not insert a James Cameron joke. But that's—I was just thinking about that. And that's what I wanted to just because it's just because their schedule. I think no no brand no franchise right now is is has taken more of a shot than the MCU because of their own. Scheduling, I think, which was I think was a mistake. Their own 
assortment and allotment of projects in the order that they chose to do them. But then COVID nineteen is they're gonna have they're gonna have to end up having a. I don't think there's any way they're going to be able to avoid releasing a bare minimum of three of their own movies a year, assuming once production ramps back up again. I mean, they're going to have to start making up some ground, or else they're ne- or else they're going to be real. We're talking you could have like a two to three year delay in where they wanted to be if they don't start making up ground. I mean, Spider Man, like when Sony pushed Spider Man, I thought that was jumping the gun, but because that movie wasn't even start to, supposed to start filming until the end of the summer. But that might be because of the of their world of their world building, because of what happens in Morbius and what happens in Venom. That those movies have to be released first, so they had no choice but to push Spider-Man once the other two movies got pushed. So I think that may have had a factor. Right. Just like Sony, might, excuse me, Universal might have pushed Halloween partially because Universal is still kind of in that pissing contest with the major theater chains since they released Trolls online and, and the way the, the chains didn't like that. So until that gets squared away, they might have Universal might not might have been a little concerned. They might not have been able to get all that squared away by the time a major release for them comes out in October, regardless of whether theaters are open by that. So that could have been an X factor in, in the Halloween pushback, or the, uh, the push to next year. But that was it. Those were just the thoughts that I had, just because as soon as I as soon as but as soon as they pushed Halloween last week, that was my thought. Is like Black Widow is absolutely going to be pushed now. And supposedly, you know, it's, it's only a matter of time before Wonder Woman and Tenet, even though I still don't get why people think Tenet is necessarily going to be this huge hit. But Wonder Woman is almost guaranteed to be pushed back until 2021 as well. And the chain reaction of all these moves. But the MCU is worse because they have so much already plotted out as far as, especially yes. if especially if they already really know, you know, if they really have it like set in stone this project we haven't announced it yet, but this project is coming after the ones we've announced, and this is what you know. This is who the big bad's going to be, and this is what the next Avengers movie is going to be. I mean, you you are realistically talking about unless you play a lot of catch up, that you're at least going to have a couple of years delay probably in getting from point A to point B, just because of, of all these projects. You wonder if something like Blade just maybe Blade gets pushed by the wayside. Maybe that could be a project that that, that, that unless unless they're trying to do something with Sony, you know, and like tie it in with Morbius or or have some crossover with other characters, you that, you could very easily see that movie be some being something that gets delayed if not completely wiped out just because they have so much other world building stuff they need to catch up on. But, but. Yeah. all right. Well, before we close out, do you want to tell people what next episode regular episode is going to be about so they can. Prep, or you want to make it a surprise? Um, I say because it is a, it is available on a couple yes. of different platforms, right? Well, you, well, uh, okay. well, this is this is actually is your it's it's your baby as far as you you were always interested in this project. I mean, I suggested we do it more more recent, but we knew it was on the list. So why don't why don't why don't you mention it and tell people where it's available, and then because that should be. That should be our next episode. The only reason I was hesitating is because there's always an X factor that maybe something else comes up and we don't get to record in time. And but it sh- it should be the next episode before before you you're before you might be going before your hiatus re- re- returns. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, okay, I, I don't this this article when was this article created? December fourteenth. I don't know if this is still valid, but either way. Okay, so um, one of the movies that I was looking forward to was a movie called Code 8. 
Code 8 was uh, Stephen Amell and his cousin Robbie Amell, Stephen Amell who played uh, Arrow, and uh, Robbie Amell who played, in terms of the Arrowverse, Firestorm. Um, you know, so that was that was cool. Uh, I did a movie called Code 8. Uh, essentially, Mark's already seen it. I haven't, but I, you know, from from the the clip that I had saw before the release of the movie, essentially superpowers exist, but they're highly regulated, and the use of them, you know, in, incurs the wrath of various uh, 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 police type forces, essentially. Um, so it was called Code Eight. Now, uh, I, uh, the article I was mentioning uh, from TV Guide was called "How to Stream Stephen Amell's Code Eight Online." Uh, you can watch it on Vudu, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, and Google Play, starting when the movie premieres on Friday, December 13th. So this was this was last year. But um, Code 8 is also available. You said you watched it on Netflix, right? It is on Netflix, yes. Okay, so it's also on Netflix. Um, so yeah, so Code 8 is on most platforms. So I would recommend if you have any of the platforms, go out there, check it out. Because that is, will be something we're talking about. I don't think we're going to do a commentary track, uh, just you know, just talking about the movie. Um, I personally just straight up purchased it digitally on Vudu. I don't have uh, a hard copy Blu-ray. I did want one, but ultimately I decided, uh, you know, it's a, it was a smaller production. I wasn't sure. I mean, I was excited for it, and I really enjoyed what I did see prior to the movie's release in terms of footage and the way it was edited together and stuff like that. So I was pretty sure I liked at least that, but I wasn't sure if I'd like it overall. So, uh, you know, I only have so much space in terms of Blu-rays and there's other things I wanted that I still don't have collections and things like that. So I just decided to save the shelf space and I bought it on, on, on Vudu, but I haven't watched it yet because I knew we were going to be doing this episode at some point. Um, so up until this point, I still haven't watched it. So if you guys, um, want to follow along with us and just know what we're talking about, Next episode, it, it was it's a shorter film, right, Mark? Uh, what do you remember roughly the runtime? Uh, not runtime. off the top of my head. I'm trying to I'm trying to see if it it is due to an hour thirty eight minutes. Okay, so kind of a shorter ish movie. I mean, a lot of movies these days are what two two and a half hours. A good amount of them, yeah. In terms of like the yeah, so. Bit of a short-ish movie, so, but uh, it's definitely. Uh, Mark, you said. I mean, do you want to give somebody maybe a sneak peek of your thoughts on it? Just like general, you, you liked it, you didn't like it. Uh, sort of where you're, just in terms of what they're what they're in for, at least. Here's a massive spoiler for you, Chad. I don't know. <laughs> I actually didn't watch it yet. I don't know why you thought that I did. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Oh, no, I thought, I I thought you had. I didn't want to correct you, but now that you put me on the spot, I have no choice. <laughs> No, 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 no. I was no planning on watching it like once we, once we decided the day we were when when we decided we were going to record and do this because originally we talked about maybe combining this episode and that episode into one that then I was going to watch it but we never really fleshed out those plans last week so I figured I'd have at least one day, one day's notice and then I'll watch it so I'll, I will watch I'm going I'm planning on watching it fresh like the night before we the night before we record so yeah same here. So yeah, uh, guys, it, it's it should be available on most platforms. I think most people have um, Vudu or Netflix, one or the other. It should be available on both. So 
If you have a streaming service, definitely go watch Code 8, and you'll be prepped for what should be the next regular episode. True. All right, Mark, you want to tell people how they can reach us? I so. Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. You use hashtag GLcast to locate us on those. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708-Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later.